Hey everybody, welcome to Draft Politics. I'm your host Steve, and as always, I'm here with EJ. It's episode 13. Welcome and happy July 4th. That's right. Uh, we have both had a good, uh, good little break there from uh, the daily grind. Uh, I guess you went and did some traveling. Did visited some family. Really good times. Some time by a lake. Some yep. grilling. Some beer. Fantastic. I spent some time on the lake. Uh, went and uh, rode on a sailboat on the on the water here in Chicago. It was lovely. Uh, but Excellent. yes, we're Excellent. back back to business. And uh, before we get too far into this, uh, the podcast business. It turns out we actually have a few more iTunes reviews. We're now up to a total of six people who have rated us on iTunes. Thank you to all of you who have done that. Uh, and a special shout out to. D-S-O-T-M-51. I don't know how you pronounce that, but uh, given our first uh, written review, uh, I'm assuming this is somebody who knows me as they complimented my, my lovely locks of hair, which I don't have. So uh, shout out to you. Thank you for uh, writing that, and uh, hopefully we'll see a few more reviews coming in soon. Kind of savage there. It was a good review, but man, they just have to get that dig in, don't they? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, that's the kind of witty banter and repartee that we like here at Draft Politics. That is true. So keep it up. Keep it up. So I guess, you know, lots of news, even though it was a short news week, there was lots of news to cover, uh, lots of things, especially on the national front. Um, and I think we should just get right into it. First of all, you know, I am a big soccer fan, have played all my life, and I want to congratulate uh, the U.S. national team for winning the, winning the Women's World Cup over the weekend in Lyon, over the Dutch. Uh, a great team, really fantastic t team, great performance all through the tournament. And I have to say, you know, Megan Rapino on the stage now, she was called out by Trump and really called him out right back. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I think they've kind of painted him into a corner now that they've won. Um, I doubt that they will show up if yeah, invited. For he sure. said he will, he won't. I don't know, but either way, a great team, uh, really great performance, and, and super happy to see that that result. Yeah, and I've been liking some of the politics around this. I mean, and we've seen this for a couple years now of pushing for uh, the fact that the women's national team is paid less than the men's team in spite of the fact that they win the World Cup every year, whereas the men's team didn't even qualify last time. Right. So, you know, that's a big difference. Obviously, there's lots of different dynamics in the sports and their funding and all of that. But let's get real. They are the top of the world, and they should be rewarded as such. Yeah. And just as a comparison, FIFA pays the winning team in the Women's World Cup $30 million. In the Men's World Cup, it's $400 million. Yeah. So there's... There's also some S inequity slight there. difference there. Yeah, but it was, I think, great to hear that there were some political overtones even to the, maybe not political, but, you know, to the, the watch parties, people chanting for equal pay during the watch parties. That's great. Yes. That is great. And there was a great little bit of a video where Fox News was in a bar in France and uh, people in the bar decided to chant uh, a fine expletive Trump <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah so the Fox News uh, had to cut that broadcast a little short there but uh, it was quite entertaining Heart of the deal man universally loved absolutely so yeah so we go from there to the 4th of July um, 
as most of you would know, uh, the president decided to have his own special celebration on the mall. Uh, now, the, the, the fireworks at the mall is a standard thing. I went there as a kid uh, to see all the fireworks. It was really cool. Um, but this has been taken to a new level by Trump, uh, and not a good level, uh, to say the least. Uh, trying to get a more you know, militaristic uh, vibe with tanks. Uh, the whole thing was a bit of a mess, though. It rained. Uh, they had, you know, but not enough. But not enough. <laughs> I wish it would have rained a little bit more. Did did not rain enough to keep Trump from saying dumb things. So, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> sigh. I mean, the things that really struck me about this one was that they sold tickets or gave tickets away to donors in a special cordoned off area. Yeah. You know, so the RNC and the Trump 2020 campaign had. And this is a government-sponsored event. Right. So they're using a government-paid-for event as a fundraising and networking opportunity for Republicans, which is clearly illegal. Right. But, you know, then so is obstruction of justice. So we'll what get to What are you going to do? Yeah, they're, uh, it's on the list. It's on the list. I'm sure they're going get, to get to that at some point. But the, <laughs> the, other, the other thing about this is everybody was super worried that he was going to turn it into a partisan event with the speech. And, and honestly, I read the transcript transcript of the speech i didn't watch it um but it wasn't it was you know a reasonably good well-balanced well-balanced speech kind of on the rails surprisingly yeah you know talked talked thoroughly about you know the military talked about uh the airlines so that's good (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but here was the other thing that really got to me so We've got this trade war that are very good, easy to win, right. I understand, Yes, with China. And part of that trade war, some of the things that were tariffed were fireworks. Until phantom fireworks, which if you live in Illinois, it, drive through Indiana, you'll see phantom fireworks. They're right off the, the skyway down there uh, in Indiana. So... Donated $750,000 worth of fireworks to the July 4th extravaganza. Trump's scavaganza. (laughs) (sighs) Anyhow. And then suddenly they were excluded from the tariffs. Yeah, funny. Fireworks were kind of cut out. (laughs) So, hey, you know what? Any, Any chance, any chance to make a buck deep in the deep in the swamp, I guess. But, you know, for the people who were there, I, I, I'm hoping that they enjoyed it, enjoyed the fireworks, which were longer than normal and uh, didn't get too bummed out by the rain. Plus tanks. Right. Um, yeah. And a- as I alluded to with the airplanes thing, the big thing that's gotten a lot of play is uh, the whole notion that uh, there were attacks on the airports during the Revolutionary War. And it's really hard. Like, OK, so. It seems that there was a teleprompter glitch. I don't know. Like, I don't know how that gets into the speech in the right. first place. I don't and know what so, the glitch is. Right. Like, my best guess at this point is that some, either a speechwriter or the teleprompter operator is pranking Trump. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense for why that would get in there. Or it isn't in the teleprompter and Trump is having right. some kind of moment where he's just not reading it correctly and i don't know what to make of that afterwards he's like oh yeah it was a teleprompter problem okay but why was it in there in the first place 
Yeah. Don't you read your speeches? I know. I know the answer to that. But <laughs> well, and remember how often he said, "Well, real intelligent people don't need teleprompters and can just speak extemporaneously." Yes. So, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I mean, it's. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like it's something that's a lot of a big deal has been made of it. It's not, I think, a big deal in the grand scheme of things. It's just like another like, huh. what's going on here? Right. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I. I I'm looking forward, however, to Ham- Hamilton 2, the sequel, where Alexander Hamilton <laughs> leads the raids to take over British. <laughs> yes, yes. British airports up and down the seaboard. <sighs> so there was something else, uh, speaking of things in the sky, avian, uh, something else this week that really caught my attention. And I'm, I'm bringing it up because it feels like the perfect analogy for where we are. So... Recently, there were these reports of a very strange and exotic bird. This kind of bird that nobody had ever seen before. They thought it was beautiful, exceptional, unbelievable. It was this glowing orange color. And eventually it was captured because people were trying to figure out what it was. And it turned out it was just a seagull, the lowliest of birds. I, I even put it below the pigeon, to be honest. Died with curry. So that to me feels like the perfect analogy for 2016. <laughs> Here we have this rare thing. No, it's Donald Trump is amazing. He's like nothing anybody's seen before. He's actually just an orange colored garbage picker. Pretty much. I think that's it. Yes, I think that's so a good summary. Yes. Seagulls, stop it now. I just loved that story so much I had to bring it up. Yeah. And I guess he did uh, have a good week. His approval rating uh, up to 42.7%, which is the high water mark, if you can believe it. Yeah. Now, let's <laughs> let's get real about this for a second. Is Well, actually, no, that, I don't think that is the higher water mark because I'm going and looking at uh, 538, and he's been as high as... You know, up in the 40s when he first got elected, or up in the like mid 40s, so like 44 okay. and all 44. that. But highest recently, but he's basically tr- trading in a range. I believe would be the yeah. the financial it's term true. for it. Is like true. he kind of goes a little bit up, a little bit down. Maybe some of the you know excitement around the Fourth of July gave him a little boost. Honestly, I think it's that he hasn't had a lot of negative news recently, so he is bound to go up. Um, I guess. But he did attack Fox over the weekend. I guess he was hoping to get some more positive news from them. Maybe that boosted his approval ratings. Maybe he should attack Fox more. I think he should. should. I think that's a good strategy. So if you're listening, White House Communications Director, who was recently assaulted in North Korea, please have him attack Fox News more often. Yes. Also, rate us on iTunes if you could. That'd be great. That that would also also be good. I did like what he, he referred to Fox News over the weekend as Quote, worse than fake news CNN and lion Brian Williams, unquote. <laughs> I, yeah, if you're if you're under CNN, you know, Fox News, you really, I think it's time to turn on him. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think it's time, guys. I think I it's mean, time. I know he took Tucker to North Korea, but I think it's time that you, you know. He did make him fly coach, though. Oh, good point. <laughs> yes, fair. So other things sort of on the national stage, I mean, <sighs> So, again, related to uh, the uh, related to the seagull, uh, his inauguration chair, Elliot Brody, a longtime uh, Republican bundler fundraiser, 
uh, is now under investigation for selling influence um, and has really been uh, seen as somebody at the center of sort of trying to peddle closeness with Trump and the administration to get something like $800 million in contracts. Yeah. And it isn't clear to me if this is a situation where he actually was selling access or he was selling people the possibility of access and they yeah. were, you know, and basically it was just him scamming people. So right. Like, I, I, I don't know which is better. Yeah. But you may know his name if you think back uh, towards the initial election. Uh, his name was associated with some hush money payments to Playboy models. Uh, originally, uh, originally, some suggestion that it may have been connected to Trump. Sounds like it was just Brody paying off his own Playboy model. So, who but, knows? You know, who knows? I mean, he's a class act and clearly uh, in many an ways. obvious part of the Trump administration there. <sighs> so we said that, you know, Trump was having a, a good week at his 42.7 percent uh, approval rating. But Justin Amash, you know, it, it may be not. Um, you know, he quit the GOP after coming out in favor of impeachment. Uh, and the question is, you know, what are his reelection chances at this point? Um, he's running as an independent. Uh, he's going to be obviously facing a Republican a challenger and a Democratic challenger. So it'll be curious to see how that plays out and, you know, what his chances really are. Yeah. And he wrote a good op-ed, and I recommend that people read it, actually. It's really good. He wrote an op-ed, uh, 4th of July, Washington Post published it and talked about sort of declaring his own independence, which a little cheesy, but still. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him one on this. And he talked very, I think, in a heartfelt way about the problems with not just the Republican Party, but the two-party system and debate, as it were, you know, and how individual voices of representatives in the party are sort of silenced by the behaviors of the parties and how that is the real problem with where we're at and the threat to democracy. And he said that you know, lots of you know, his Republican colleagues say privately, well, he's right, and thank him for speaking out. But what does that say that they won't also speak out? So yeah. it's, it is really interesting. He's from you know the third district in Michigan, which includes Grand Rapids and some more rural areas there. Um, also the home area of our Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Sigh. Um, also very good beer. But it's a it's a it's an interesting area, right? So yeah. there are you know, there are rural parts, there are sort of more progressive parts there. Yeah, and when I'm kind of where I find he sort of hits a weird spot in my way of thinking about things is I I do have a certain degree of cynicism towards any of these politicians about the dis the what goes into the decisions they make and does he leave the party because he thinks he has a better political angle as an independent? What made him think, I need to go ahead and push for impeachment? And it's entirely possible that he he's honest in that belief of, um, you know, I think I've got a better shot. Or, or excuse mm -hmm. me, I think that impeachment is important and it's not about that cynical calculation. And ultimately, if he ends up losing, I think that supports the notion that it was, uh, you know, something deeper than that. But, right. you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know in so many of them. I mean... I've, and we've talked about this theme before, is uh, politics is a job. It is a career for people. And, you know, people will get into those positions and, you know, you get elected and you have to keep getting elected. And 
you know, at some point it's like, okay, well, what's the next living you're going to go on to if that political career doesn't work out for you? Yeah, right. And look, he's a libertarian. Uh, he very proud of that fact, came in in the Tea Party wave, right? And if you give him the benefit of the doubt and say he stood up because he believed these things very strongly, he had to know what the consequences would be. For sure. And Yeah, and all of the people I know who are authentically conservative but anti-Trump are libertarians and, and have been consistently against him. I know, I know people have said, oh, I don't really like Trump and then voted for him. I know people were against Trump and then eventually came on, you know, like, okay, he's doing fine. The people I know who have been all along against him and consistently against him from the right are libertarians. Yeah. And so he does fit that model. But as you said, what's the next state for him? Like, could he, I'm going to run for president as a libertarian. I could be the next Gary Johnson. There you go. I mean, is that really something to aspire you know, to? That, I, could, that could be very interesting, to be honest. Like, I mean, certainly got a better chance than Bill Weld at this point. So, well, so do you. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> uh, so uh, it is it is really interesting, and I think you know it makes me think a lot about what it means to have the parties the way they are. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but the parties the way they are and people using primaries as sort of a, a cudgel to you know, shape the people who run for the parties uh, and sort of punish and reward. What does that really mean for the chance for actual debate and compromise between the parties or even inside it? So if you really believe in, in things as a libertarian and say you want smaller government and you don't want to spend money on any government program, like he voted against the federal government trying to step in to Flint to clean things up. Like, that's a pretty extreme stance. Um, not a popular one, but if you really believe those things and you look at your own party and say, well, we're never going to do any of these things because actually we're now just, we now just exist to pass laws to make rich people richer. And so we're always going to be deficit spending essentially right. then you look at the other party and they said they want a bigger government like what do you do you know and if even if you kind of call things out and somebody can lie and diffuse your argument for long enough that it becomes moot what's your other option yeah so i it, it is an interesting question um and i do think it's one that we are all facing in our democracy is a it's a very serious note here we talk mm. about something less serious like sure. Chris Kobach Let's running for uh, <laughs> running for Senate. <laughs> we could talk about that. I mean, next thing on our agenda would be a citizenship question. So, you know, that's uh, that's another lighthearted subject. Yeah, well, but it's kind of hand in hand, right? Chris Kobach was uh, Donald Trump's immigration czar looking for all of the ways you could prove that something was fraudulent, even if it isn't there. Uh, he ran. He was the uh, secretary of state for Kentucky, I believe, for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... Uh, he took on this position as immigration czar, and then he lost an election for governor last year. So nice work, Kentucky. Thank you. Uh, keep up the good work with the Senate campaign. So one of the funny things that I have to say about this is that, you know, Chris Kobach, really a big firebrand about must make sure that we're positively identifying everybody who wants to vote. And if you spell your name wrong, that's a huge red flag. And maybe you should just be pulled or purged from the voter rolls. All of those things. 
Chris spells his first name with a K. His official paperwork in... <sighs> spelled with a C. <laughs> Just like... Okay, we can reasonably conclude he knows how to spell his own name. True. So... Reasonable. Somebody else... like. So who's, who misspelled it? Because it's somebody presumably on his campaign who filled out that paperwork. I, like, did they, or did they, you know, tell somebody over the phone and just, oh, it's a K, or they assumed it's... Like, like how does that even happen? I don't know. And, I don't and know. It, but it does get to the point of, like, you know, we get so nuanced about all these little finer points when it's, you know, voter registrations when, you know, they'll kick people off the ballot for the least little thing and not give them a way to easily re-register and, and address that. And so... But, you know, hey, if you're rich and powerful, who cares? I don't know that he's that rich or that powerful, well, but ri either way. Ri richer or more powerful -er than, yeah, exactly. than your average voter. And really, to me, it's just it's just satisfying to my deep sense of irony. Oh, of yeah. Of course, there are no consequences. We just get to laugh about it. Yep. So, speaking of consequences, however, the citizenship question. Yes. So, yes. when we last left our intrepid... Uh, adventurers, there was not going to be a citizenship question because the Supreme Court ruled five to four against it, saying that the reason given was not good enough you know, to better enforce the Voting Rights Act. John Roberts uh, siding with the sort of more liberal justices. Uh, and Wilbur Ross said, okay, well, I guess we're not going to do it. We're going to print these things without it. Everybody was ready to move on with their lives. But then Victory Trump found claimed. out about it. It all went to hell, as usual. Exactly. Yeah, so he started pressing back against it. He tweeted, as he does. Uh, and now the DOJ lawyers on Friday um, basically indicated that they were still trying to get that onto, uh, onto the, uh, on the questionnaire. And so now it's still in the court. We don't know what's going to happen. We know right. the Supreme Court has ruled against it. Presumably, the judge in Massachusetts will rule against it. But, well, you know, they may start printing ballots. I mean, the notion was they were they had to get ballots started printing and that they were going to start doing it. And right. That's now not happening, I guess. Yeah. I, well, and so there, the, the sort of multifaceted ramifications here are, are pretty interesting, right? So, first of all, the lawyers had a conference call with the judge who, you know, said... So, what the hell's going on here, guys? You know, so, you know, like, if I were, uh, if there, I had a court with, uh, I had a court case with Facebook, and you were representing Facebook, and you told me one thing, and then Mark Zuckerberg tweeted something else later that day, I would pull his ass into court, because clearly you don't represent him adequately. And the response from the lawyer, this guy, Josh Gardner, who's, uh, evidently been at the DOJ for 16 years, right? So he's not a new player here, you know, after kind of saying, like, look, I'm trying to be as transparent as I can. But he said, and I quote, the tweet this morning was the first I had heard of the president's position on this issue, just like the plaintiffs and your honor. I do not have a deeper understanding of what that means at this juncture or what the president, other than what the president has tweeted, unquote. And so much of our politics fundamentally comes down to that last sentence, yeah. not having a deeper understanding of what that means at this juncture, other than what the president has tweeted. He is all of us, yes. right? Yes. He is all of us. And then, of course, the Justice Department said, well, actually, we're going to replace all the lawyers, which you kind of have to do. 
right? So all along they've been saying, we need this date. We have all of this urgency. We can't wait for more discovery. We have to not include the information from that polling expert in uh, the Carolinas. We have to go, we have to start by J June the 30th. If not, all is lost. And then all of a sudden they have to go back and say, actually, no, no, we're good. We can just wait until we get the result that we want. How do you think that that's going to look for the solicitor general? Who's got to go back in front of the Supreme Court and say, actually, everything we said before was bullshit. Now we've got a new, not only line of reasoning, but constraints. And to, to be this? fair, what they've already said, the Supreme Court has ruled is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it, I mean, it's fascinating to me how much of what Trump has tried to do is simply derailed by Trump being an idiot. Like if they had started off day one trying to get this done and had Cheney style built up a framework mm -hmm. to, to support it and the underlying lies to justify everything that they wanted to do, they go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, hey, it all looks fine to us. And, you know, and now, you know, maybe, maybe not, but certainly there was a lot more of a chance than there was in this case where the lies around this and the stupidity about it was so obvious that not even John Roberts, who is the least conservative of the very conservative judges, right. just still couldn't sign on to it. Well, then, of course, after the ruling, Donald Trump's like, and remember, we're doing this because we want to use this data for redistricting. Right. He wanted, well, they wanted, yeah, well, there was that, and <laughs> nominally it was to protect the Voting Rights Act. Like, it was like to enforce well, the Voting Rights Act. Like, that's like exactly the opposite of what this right. is for. <laughs> but then he undermined yeah. that. Yeah. So he essentially said what everybody was thinking. Right. I, Again, it's like it's like uh, somebody's reading their script and they keep reading the stage cues underneath. Like you're not right. supposed to read that part. <laughs> Trump doesn't mention <laughs> using this for redistricting. Why is that on the teleprompter? <laughs> Whatever the you airports. do, don't mention this. The airports. Don't mention this. Ugh. So, in other Trump-related news, which we seem to have quite a bit of this <laughs> week. Yeah, like last week, we didn't have quite as much. This no. week, we're making up for it. No. Um, got the New York uh, tax returns possibly going to Congress. Right. Um, uh, Governor Cuomo of New York signed into law today a law that said, hey, we can ship these things to the federal government. So we'll see where that goes. Um, at the very least, it's another thing that Nancy Pelosi can't say she's waiting for before she starts impeachment hearings, right? <laughs> Well, I think at this point, the only thing that they can legitimately say is the Mueller, Mueller's testimony. If they don't do anything after Mueller's testimony, then this is just, this has all been a game, which I think it is, but, you know, we'll know for sure then. Well, except for the fact that they just now subpoenaed uh, the Trump organization itself. All right, so they've got a very hard deadline of July 29th for the Trump organization to respond to 30-some-odd subpoenas. So that could be another waiting milestone. Yeah. Well, and that could be interesting. I think going after the Trump organization may be their best bet because Trump so has such a personal connection to the business entity that is the Trump mm -hmm. organization, but he doesn't have the same power to stop attacks on it. He can't just Presumably, simply say, yeah. oh, executive privilege. It's your business. There's right. no executive privilege here. You're not even supposed to know anything about what's going on at it if this was all being done properly. Well, so Yeah, and that's just the thing. You either have to admit that you're still actually intimately involved and profiting from it, which you're not supposed to be able to do, or 
you have to let them do it. Yeah. So we'll see how that court case goes, but it's it's in the courts now. Hopefully yeah. it'll move quickly. And I have a feeling, though, that so many of these things are going to play. I mean, I feel like what they're aiming for at this point is the what if if Trump manages to win. Like, it's let's start building our ammo up for when that happens yeah. so that then then we can impeach. Wait, I don't know. Um, but it is interesting how the timing of all this plays out is mm-hmm. July 29th. So this is going to coming out right before the Democratic debates. Um, so it does lead one to think maybe a question would be about impeachment. Uh, maybe. What's interesting, though, limits. is that they did not ask any questions about impeachment in the first round of debates. And I, it's a, there's reason to there's a reason to support that approach and that none of the people on stage have any say over it they're all i mean unless you're in the house you don't have any say over you know impeachment proceedings until you know after they vote and then it goes to the senate mm-hmm. da, da, da. so it's like warren has a position on impeachment but you can't make impeachment go forward at this point yeah so you may think why ask her but i think it's a relevant question to all of these candidates just a sense what is their feelings on this i'd like to know you know, as they're looking to appoint their attorney generals, what kind of attitude they'll have on, you know, going back and looking at his crimes. Uh, but, you know, that may be the sort of questions that come later on when they start running out of material, you know, many debates on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Again, it's only July. Yeah. Right now we still have to do gotcha questions on abolishing of private insurance, and then we'll move on from there. Hands up, guys. Hands up. Hands halfway up if you fully support. I'd like you to raise your hand the percentage amount that you'd like to fully support an immediate moving right to immediate impeachment hearings. It's like the worst DJ in the world. Like, put your hands up. Oh like, yeah. no, like, no, it's not. Not doing it, guys. Oh, oh boy. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to Circus 2020. Election Circus 2020. Uh, and good news, after a long drought of eight days, it looks like we're going to get a new person into the race. Tim Steyer, or Tom Steyer. Uh, yeah, Probably getting back in. Oh, another rich white guy, please. <laughs> no, but this guy, Tom's different. He's for impeachment. Well, that's an upgrade, I suppose. Well, I guess well, it is. Was Swalwell in favor of impeachment? I, I don't know. Because then, then we've just traded off. Oh, that's so. true. We're net net zero, zero white yeah, guys. Yeah, well, sad to say uh, the Swalwell candidacy, as much hope as we had for it, is no more. The torch has been put out. The torch has been snuffed. <laughs> it has, has been snuffed. So looks like we're going to net zero here, uh, my favorite internet provider. Uh, we'll see if Tom actually announces. Everybody says he's going to announce... And he talked about it in January and then decided he only wanted to get rid of Donald Trump. And maybe he's decided that this is the only way. Well, like, I just don't understand why now. Like, we've already had a debate. He'd have to get a certain, that polling threshold or, like, how did, he wouldn't even get in the second debate because they already did the qualifications for it, right? Uh, he so. won't get into the debates in Jan- or July. Yeah, so he might so. get into the September debates if he gets right. to 130,000 donors. Like, ah. Okay. I yeah, don't see it happening. But hey, you know maybe he just feels like this is the best platform for his message. Either way, 
I really just want there to be fewer people at this I, point. I, I have to say I really wish that Steyer would do something like, you know, invest money in voter turnout, in getting people registered, in building up infrastructure at the local level, rather than worrying about impeachment, rather than worrying about running for president, which are all very ego-driven ideas yeah. of how important are you. Like, just get some actual good mechanical stuff done for politics. Right. And, you know, I totally agree, 100%. Uh, but oh well. Um, um, look, Joe Biden, though, this week did something that I never thought I would, I would hear him do. Um, he apologized. He apologized for, you know, the comments that he made at that donor event where he you know, said he was kind of proud of working with segregationists. And he apologized in the way you would expect him to. He said, I was wrong for having said that. And I'm sorry if anybody was yeah. hurt by that or yeah. misunderstood me. So, so let me see if I understand this correctly. You go out there and you say, hey... I kind of work with some segregationists, and they and that was all good. And then a a senator running against you, a black man calls you out on it, and you hold your ground. And then another senator calls you out on it, a black woman. You hold your ground, but then you kind of figured out that the polling's going south on you, is what it looks like, and decided, oh, now I'm going to apologize. Like, yeah. did their critiques not hold any water for you along the way? It. <laughs> he needs to go. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm all. F I, you know, it's the same. I would vote for him if he won, but I don't really feel like he's bringing a lot of value to this campaign at this point. Well, I hope he, I hope he either gets better or it becomes clear that he's not the right person. Um, yeah, and and again, I don't personally support him right now. If the, you know, if the primary in Illinois were tomorrow, I would not vote for Joe Biden. Uh, I also am reasonably pragmatic in, you know, thinking that a lot more needs to happen before we can kind of stick a fork in certain people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, there are plenty of forks and plenty of people yeah. that could be stuck well, ahead of time. And my read on him is that his main advantage at this point is that he's seen as the one who can beat Trump. And, and the more that he's in the race looking like other people can beat him, yeah. the less that he's sort of, it's going to, it becomes a bit of a reinforcing cycle and that he's going to fade pretty quickly. But, you know, he's, he's in the second debate. Presumably, he's got enough, he has enough donors to be in the third debate. So, sure. you know, he's at least through the third debate and we'll see what happens from there. And we've seen some polling data and, you know, we're not 538, which I recommend people listen to. Uh, and read, but at the same time, uh, got some got some knowledge here. And you know, the one thing about all these polls is, first of all, they're still a mess, and they will continue to be a mess because of how far out we are. And every poll you read now uh, is really only as good as the length of time until the next two or three polls or big thing comes out. Uh, so I don't like the absolute numbers for an individual, um, but we have seen some trends, right? So Warren seems to be moving in a better direction than Bernie Sanders, which is a big deal because they tend to occupy the same lane. Uh, many polls have her as second uh, in the, the top five, with Bernie as third or fourth. 
and Kamala Harris being the other person in that mix, typically. Yeah. Um, Harris has gotten a big, a big bump since the debates. Yeah, and one of the things I've been following a little bit is what's going on in the Iowa primary, because I feel like that could have a big influence in... I mean, we've seen this happen in past elections, where somebody's able to sort of gain momentum and make a big win in Iowa, and the polls shift pretty drastically oh, yeah. as yeah, yeah. people say, oh, clearly they have momentum, they're going to win, etc. And, you know, if we look at Iowa right now, the most recent poll has Warren up. Yeah. 20 to Biden, 17 to Sanders, 12 to Harris is 18. So you basically have what looks like kind of a three-way race there between Biden, Warren, and Harris in Iowa. Yeah. Now, obviously, you go to New Hampshire, there's Sanders, South Carolina. I mean, like, so it, it gets different from there. But it's interesting to see how the shifting has happened to Warren and Harris seem like they have have the, the momentum right now. Um Biden's clearly falling off. Sanders is kind of coasting, but, you know, he only had 9% in Iowa the other day. And so, you know, it's, it's, it may bode badly for him, but, you know, we'll see. So, and just to keep in mind, though, we are 210 days from the Iowa caucus. As much as we all want this to be done right now. <laughs> I know. I know. And I, I'm saying that because I, I temper... I temper my assessment of the polls because I know how many things, how many events, how many news cycles we have to go through. We're 210 days away. That means we're 840 news cycles away from that, oh, yes. from the caucuses. So, look, and they'll impact one another, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that more by that point. Um, but it is interesting what those, those trends are. The other thing that I will say um, is it very interesting to me is that you know those four people have really been about 64% of the sort of preference pool right so people say who would you vote for when you add their totals up it's like it's over 60% when you throw in mayor pete who is pretty consistently polling below 10% it's like 70% right so that just says Where's the, the air in the room? Yeah, and you're going to have one more debate for all the people who qualified for the previous one. Right. And then at that point, you're starting into the 130K threshold for donors. So some of these people are going to fall off just by pure attrition yeah. there. And 3%, right? So that's it's compounded. So it's the number of voters yes. are donors and 3% polling in a number of approved polls. Right, right. And that... Those approved polls may change, and there's some yeah. consternation about that. Ask Seth Moulton about it. If we look at the current polls, you've got Biden, Sanders, Warren, Harris, Buttigieg, and then O'Rourke is at 3%. Anybody below that right now, you're out of luck. Um, and so if you're a Booker, if you're a Klobuchar, if you're a Andrew Yang... If you're Castro, I mean, like any of those people, yeah. as much as they might be on the debate stage now and making some points, they're going to have to really push hard to get much further into this. Yeah. And these are good people, right? So when we talk about Beto O'Rourke, you know, somebody that people had thought was going to have a really good, a good shot at things, had some, you know, had some clout. He's got some name recognition. Yeah. William and Castro, again, and they're polling pretty low. So I, I again, I, I don't see where 
some of these other candidates, especially new ones, looking at you. Right. You know, like where where do they have where do they have room to and to squeeze in? And it is striking. We we try to compare this to some extent to what happened with the Republicans in you know previous elections where they had large fields, and it was kind of a clown show. I mean, it was just like you had people that they oh they got a lot of excitement and then people would find out that they were actually lunatics and then they'd fall off and whatever like we we know what these people are we yeah. know the the kind of candidates they're going to be you know we're discovering a little bit more they're getting a little more name recognition as they go but it's like these are established strong competent people and if you look at the top you know six people in this race any of them has some credibility as I could run this country and I mean, literally everybody in this field could do it better than Trump. But, you know, they they can make a credible claim to I am qualified to be president. Yes. Um, and that's that's pretty impressive, you know, given, you know, you've got 20 some odd people in this field. So, you know, the other thing that those poll numbers mirror is the fundraising that we saw in the last quarter. Yeah. And as we look at the fundraising, like I think of these in two respects. One is there's the raw number of dollars, which leads to, you know, how many events can they run? What, where can they travel all that? So that's a factor in just like how long can they sustain a campaign? So that's a piece of this. The other piece of this is what is it? How does it work as a measure of enthusiasm for their campaign? Yeah. Yeah. And so as you look at each one of these, they give you slightly different things. So if I look at Buttigieg, 24.8 million, which is the biggest haul of everybody on here, from 294,000 donors, which is a lot of donors. So for comparison, Harris had 297,000 donors. So almost the same number of donors, but Buttigieg is getting more money out of it. So he's clearly going to wealthier donors. The numbers boil down to he's getting $84 a donor, she's getting $40 a donor. So how does that translate into what is their grassroots support versus you know, support among wealthier donors, and, and how does that translate into their, you know, ability to run an election down, right. the, down the line? Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why the DNC brought the number of voters into the equation for who gets on the debate stage, because they wanted to see grassroots support. And uh, I give Bernie Sanders a lot of credit for highlighting how important that is. Yeah. Uh, and... Look, Sanders did did all right. Eighteen million from some number of voters. Yeah, it's interesting the way he's phrased it is saying one million donations. So this is quarterly reporting. So that means if somebody, you know, became a monthly donor and they donated, you know, five bucks over three months, you know, that's three that's fifteen bucks, but three donations, right? Yeah. And so it's like, what does that actually mean in terms of actual donors? Because I feel like the number of donors is a little more reflective of that enthusiasm that I was referring to. Yeah, especially um, if they're first-time donors. For sure, for sure. And uh, that would be a, a great measure I would love to see is who's got the most first-time donors. Because those are the folks we need. Yeah. And, and, I, and one of the things I think that's most striking about all this is the way Warren's campaign is operating right, right? now. Right? So... She's raised $19.1 million, which puts her in third place in the total fundraising. But she's raising that money all from individual grassroots donors. She's not doing big fundraisers. She's not doing call time except to call, like, lottery style a couple people uh, who have donated to thank them. But it's not like she's going out and asking 
big donors for that money. And, and so, yeah. And yeah. to give you an idea, you know, having been around campaigns, right? We we've, we've seen that at every level. Those a candidate's time during the day is typically this percentage of the time is on the phone asking for money. And how when you get to be in Congress, like a congressperson's job, like 30% of the time or some ridiculous number is on the phones asking for money. So for her to say, I'm running for president and I'm not going to do call time is like, it's almost shocking. Yeah. And, and I think that, so I, and I've, I've expressed that I'm a, a Warren backer at this point and I am a donor to her campaign. And I will say that for me personally, knowing that I'm it, I mean, like that, that's, that donors who are just doing those individual donations, like we're the only thing she's got. It does make me feel like there's more. I owe her more. And, and, mm. and so it's made me more encouraged to, to donate more than I probably otherwise would have. Wow. Um, you know, whereas like if she's going to big fundraisers or whatever, then it's like, OK, there's some big donors who can make up for me. Um, and so I suspect, you know, if you look that across the, the campaign, it scales up and she has... 384,000 donors at this point, which is the most of any of the candidates. Um, you know, give or take, however you translate Sanders' one million donations. Right. So. Right, there you go. Exactly. Billion served. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you look at it, yeah, so uh, Harris, like I mentioned, 12 million with 297,000 donors. All of those sort of top ones are going to be in the later debates. They have the money to keep going, and that's really kind of what's critical at this point. Yeah. And again, 210 days from the first primary. Yeah. And the top Republican donors have are pulling in $95 million a quarter. We'll take that. We'll, we'll take that from a candidate standpoint. I mean, I think that shows real enthusiasm. Yeah. So, yeah. So $95 million from five Democrats. Uh, interestingly, $54 million for Donald Trump in the, in the quarter from... I don't know, Russian oligarchs, I have to assume. but um, One can only assume. And but, um, uh, one of the founders of Home Depot, remember, he's, oh, he yeah, came out this uh, week. And, and said probably the Cubs. Go Cubbies. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> Go Sox. And John Elway. Um, you know, the thing of it is, though, is like there was a lot of, uh, there was a big deal made of like, oh, tr- Trump is making all this money and, you know, the DNC or the RNC yeah. is bringing all this money and, you know, Democrats are busy fighting amongst themselves. Like, okay, look. Each one of those candidates is not getting as much as Trump, but combined, they're getting twice as much as yeah. Trump. And that's really and encouraging. when they go through this primary and they're constantly putting themselves out there in the news, getting their name out there in a way that it is hard to, it's, it is hard to gain traction against a president because a president can pretty much, you know, sneeze and it's major news. I mean, you know, we've got the... Fourth of July parade. And if anybody knows how to get themselves in the news at a moment's notice, it is Donald Trump. It is indeed. So, you know, I think it's you could be concerned about, you know, this money getting split amongst all these different people. But in the end, whoever that candidate is can expect to be getting, you know, 90 million. No Uh, problem. Exactly. Um, The other thing that makes me feel somewhat more hopeful is that I just assumed that. Like eighty-five percent of the money that comes into that campaign is being paid out to people who are doing nothing. That that is a that is a remore field, you know, just people sucking off of that campaign in any way possible. Just as we saw with the inauguration, just as we've seen, you know, that swamp grow. 
Yeah. It is going to be a traveling swamp through 2020, so it won't be used efficiently. Right. Um, oh, and one other note we should say is uh, Bill Weld has raised 700000 So good on you, Bill. Good job, Bill. Keep fighting the fight. <laughs> keep, keep, keep fighting. Wow. So the next debates uh, in Detroit, July 30th and 31st. Uh, CNN is hosting these. Uh, so they're holding a draw for stage assignments. Going to be totally random, which I totally don't agree with. Well, you know, I, I think it's good to be consistent between the two debates, right? So this time we'll have, you know, <laughs> I mean, it'll be if, if it's Warren on one stage and, and then the other sort of major candidates on the other stage, we'll start run, uh, asking questions. But, um, you know, I think there'll be a good mix. I'd be very curious to see, you know, Warren and Sanders on the same stage. Um, sure. I think, you know, you got, I think Beto would prefer not to be on the same stage as Castro anymore. I didn't really work out well for him. <laughs> true. True. Did not. <laughs> so, did you know, not. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, once we get around to that, that time of the month, we will uh, talk about that a little further. Uh, so and uh, they're going to do a live draw on the 17th. Yeah, they'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So. And uh, Drinking Liberally will be hosting uh, at O'Shaughnessy's. Uh, so come on by there and uh, be watching uh, the debates there. So. And Should I think good. it'll be the last chance for some of our folks. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm really hoping that uh, Castro has another good debate. I would like to see him. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, now imagining just sort of like a like a boys to men montage of, you know, thinking about those moments and like little flashes of Castro having his moment in the exactly. sun and and Beto Beto going down and because we've come to the end of the road. Yes. And hopefully the end of the road for some of those folks is running for Senate, where hopefully they'll spell their names correctly on their forms with the state. Yes. So that takes us to the ever-important beer break. Oh, man. Uh, you know, we had a longer national segment than uh, we've been doing recently, so a uh, little Thank bit of a marathon here. Yeah, and thanks we for sticking with us all the way to the we beer. We may have gotten another beer before the official beer break, so... You know, a little inside baseball for you. Uh, Full and disclosure. I feel a little like we've cheated on you a little bit, but t because typically we kind of say, you know, this segment should be about one beer long. But if we have to go to our second beer, we're solidly a beer and a half in at this point. But, you know, that will make the local segment very late, uh, very entertaining when we uh, get to that. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we are here at Metropolitan's Tap Room. Uh, it is a lovely day on the river. Uh, we came here thinking, hey, it's really nice there. They've got places outside. It's a nice day. What we did not account for is that they're actually building out their deck area right yeah. now. So uh, there's not anywhere for us to sit outside. We're inside in the air conditioning, but and, and it's we, still got a lovely view. Yeah, we were here before, and we said we're going to come back when it's nice yeah. because surely everything will be open. And, and truth be told, you can stand outside and – drink one of their fine, fine German-style beers out here overlooking the river. You just can't sit out there. Yeah, and it's a little hard to podcast out it there. It is so. hard to podcast um, without some place to sit. And looking at the way this is set up, they're going to have another, you know, 15, 20 feet of deck space going out. So uh, there should be plenty of table space and a really good place in the summer uh, next year, I suspect. Yeah, come by here. It's on Rockwell, south of Belmont. So... If you're in that neighborhood, if you're in Avondale, 33rd Ward, you can swing over here. Uh, I'm having this 
humbucker Dortmunder beer right now. And Very I had light. that earlier in the first pre-beer break, beer break. So good. So crisp. I, I'm not a big German beer drinker, to be honest. I, I you know, like some of them, but, you know, I, I like to have something a little more bitter sometimes. But I've got to tell you that the, the beers here today are extra cold and extra crisp. And I'm really happy we're here. What do you have? Right I now? have the Metropolitan Cold Hope. Uh, it's a beer to guard at a seven 7.2%. So a little on the strong side. Um, really nice amber beer. Good good amount of malt to it. You know, really right in my wheelhouse for the kind of beer I love to drink. So, And I had that lager earlier, and it was uh, delicious. Yeah, so please do, please do come down to Metropolitan. Um, Everything I've had from them has been really good, really tasty. They support the neighborhood. Um, good folks down here all around. Um, one other non-beer-related thing that I want to point out, and this will be our second or third Kentucky reference uh, in this segment, is that I bet it's sad news this week. A lightning strike started a fire in Kentucky at a Jim Beam warehouse where 45,000 barrels of bourbon burned. It's tragic. It is tragic. tragic. A small percentage of their total inventory, but still tragic. And actually, what's been very sad is the environmental impact because the runoff has gone into the local water supply. And so there have been some very drunk and very dead fish. I'm like, yeah, you know, a bourbon in water, perfectly lovely, but not bourbon in the water right that's, that's exactly. not okay so you know uh, jim beams and tory Bl- brands we're f- we feel for you uh recover soon from that tragic fire our thoughts are with you our, our, thoughts our hopes are and with prayers you. <laughs> hopes and prayers let's not legislate uh, lightning too soon though right we don't right. want to politicize lightning at this point yes so yeah then that wraps us up uh, for the national part of our podcast this week Uh, Thanks for joining, and uh, catch us on our local podcast, which will be coming up later in the week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.